Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, we're welcoming Celia Lasky to read from her new book, Under the Rainbow. She'll be in conversation with Peter Kispert. Before I introduce them, I just want to remind you that Skylight Books offers curbside pickup and online ordering on our website, www.skylightbooks.com. Celia Lasky's work has appeared in Guernica, the Minnesota Review, and other places. She has an MFA from the University of New Mexico and was a finalist in Glimmer Train's Short Story Award for New Writers. She lives with her wife in Los Angeles, where she writes for ad agencies. Peter Kispert is the author of the story collection, I Know You Know Who I Am. His fiction and nonfiction has appeared or is forthcoming in GQ, Esquire, Playboy, Electric Literature's Recommended Reading, The Carolina Quarterly, The Journal, Slice, and elsewhere. He lives in New York. Celia and Peter, it's so happy to have you here. Thank, thank you for coming to our podcast. Thank you for having us. No problem. No thank problem. You, no problem. So Celia, you have all right. So should I jump into my reading now? Yeah, we're all ready for you. I do. I'm going to read just a little bit from um, the beginning of one of the stories. So there's not really any background that you need to know. Um, it's from Gabe's story for anyone listening that is familiar um, with the book because I found that he was a character that really resonated with a lot of readers. Um, so I'll just do the first couple pages. You want to meet at a motel. On my phone screen, the blue speech bubble from PB Tall Guy floats over a dark gray background wallpaper binder logos, a face mask with two round eye holes. PB Tall Guy didn't put a question mark after motel, like he's not asking, but reading my thoughts. I want to meet at a motel. I do. I want to meet at a motel real, real bad. A toilet in the stall next to me flushes. I've been gone five minutes, maybe 10. Jean is out there in Giovanni's dining room, probably watching her chicken piccata get cold, wondering if I'm having diarrhea or if I ran into someone I know. Or she's on Facebook, scrolling past pictures of her cousin's babies and articles about this season of looking for love. She's definitely on her second glass of wine. I close grinder and put my phone in my pocket. Sweat slicks my forehead, upper lip and palms. I wipe it off with a wad of toilet paper, then drop the paper in the toilet and flesh. You okay, Jean says when I come back to the table. She says it flatly, annoyed, not concerned. 
My stomach is just a little upset. It's not exactly a lie. QB non, I used to call it, the kind that would hit before a big game when I was excited but knew so much was riding on it. Again, Jean says, I don't know why you refuse to see Dr. Weber when this is happening every other day. It's not that bad, hun. It's bad enough to ruin our anniversary. You've spent half the night in the bathroom. She looks down at the table, then back at me with glassy eyes. God, I'm the worst. As today, Jean and I have been married for 15 years. Something about that number has sent me into a tailspin. I guess it's because milestones that are multiples of five always feel weightier, more significant. And 15 years is just a long fucking time. A long fucking time to be pretending. I've been on Grinder for a while now, but mostly just to look. Today, my 15th anniversary is the first time I've considered going through with it. I'm sorry, I say, reaching across the table. Jean keeps her hand limp, refusing to close her fingers around mine. It's not like I can control it. The sound of something shattering comes from the kitchen and everyone in the restaurant turns. At a table in the corner, a man sits across from another man. They have quaffed haircuts and visible pectorals underneath their starched oxfords, one of which is covered in a bright floral print. The man in my sightline regards me with a slightly raised eyebrow, and I quickly avert my gaze, keeping the pair in my peripheral vision while trying to pay attention to what Jean is saying. Something about probiotics. The other man turns around in his chair and looks in my direction. Jesus Christ, you're imagining it, I tell myself. You look like every other straight man in this restaurant sitting across from a woman. Before the task force arrived, I never had to worry about being spotted or outed, but now everywhere I go, I swear I can feel them looking at me, looking through me, not to mention my online presence. The only grinder people from Big Burr know about is the kind with pepper in it, but I've seen a few task force members on there. I changed my picture to a generic ab shot and made sure there were no identifying details in my profile, but that makes it harder to catch someone's interest. A lot of guys even say, no face pic, no chat. Dessert, asks Norm, our usual waiter. Jean looks at my plate, the square of lasagna almost fully intact. I don't think so. We split the tiramisu every time we come for dinner. Hun, you want some tiramisu, I say. You're not feeling well, we should just go home. She folds her cloth napkin into a neat square. Disappointment hangs on her face. Norm shifts his weight from one foot to the other. We'll take the tiramisu to go, I say. And that's where I'll end. How fabulous. Um, Celia, it's so great to be talking with you um, about Under the Rainbow. And thank you so much for that lovely reading of one of my favorite chapters. Um, <laughs> and for everyone listening, um, you can order your copy of Under the Rainbow, just released in paperback from Skylight Books or your local bookseller. Um, so one of the things that, and it struck me again while you were reading about this book that makes it so impressive is the sheer breadth of perspective and the difference of opinion and values and all of that rendered so beautifully in such a deeply imagined way, um, almost sort of kaleidoscopically. Um, so I'm wondering, I guess first off here, what were some of the harder perspectives for you to write? Um, and I mean, it, reading Gabe's, you know, I thought 
wow, you know, it, it felt like it was written from someone who'd really experienced that. But, uh, but I imagine it took a lot of effort to get to those final pages for some of these. Yeah, it was definitely an exercise in stepping outside of myself for yeah. a lot of these stories. And um, I would say one of the hardest ones to write was probably pretty obviously Christine. Yeah. Um, and the way that I sort of approached that one was, you know, what does a homophobic person actually feel, you know, because we know the things that they say about queer people, but you know, where is that actually coming from in right. their psyche? And um, I found some studies online that said that for a lot of people, it's actually rooted in jealousy. And for me, that was like the explanation that I could understand. It was like, yeah, mm -hmm. obviously you're jealous. Career people are the best. Like it yeah. frees you, it frees you from a lot of these life expectations that I think a lot of people feel um, like they have to go through with, even if it's not something that they feel super passionate about, you know, marriage, kids, buying a house, you know, these, these kind of steps that a lot of people take. Um, so I thought someone like Christine who feels sort of trapped in her expected hetero life would probably feel pretty jealous of queer people. And so that's how I was able to write that character. Um, you know, because I, I don't think I would have been able to write a character that um, just has pure hatred, you know, for queer right. people. Right. Um, so it's, it sounds like that process is sort of a, a process of reimagining the belief or the um, the opinion and what that really sort of looks like for someone else. And as you say, I mean, writing that sort of stale or hatred isn't something that I feel like would be really possible to do and to render it as humanely as you do, as compassionately as you do, you know, and not just for Christine, but for all of these characters. Yeah, and that was something that I also worked on a lot with Christine was, you know, making sure that there's still that bit of empathy that, you know, comes across with her that, you know, you feel a little bad for her that, you know, yeah. she hates these people as much as she does, because you can see that it's because she feels so trapped. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like that idea of, of being trapped is so sort of innately linked to this location, this Big Burr, Kansas, which is not a real place. There is a Burr Oak, Kansas. I'm not <laughs> sure if that did that at all inspire or was that, I'm just curious. No, actually the place that inspired Big Burr was a town ironically named Liberal, Kansas. Oh. Um, and it's in like the very Southwestern corner of Kansas. And um, yeah. like my, my advisor in my graduate program had recommended it because he did a lot of like driving back and forth across the country. And he was like, yeah, this one town in Kansas sort of stuck out to me is, you know, mm. maybe a good place to go. Um, because I wanted to visit Kansas before I wrote this book because I had only driven through it. Also, I wanted to go like spend a few days and make sure that I was getting at least, um, you know, the physical details right. And hopefully right. also like, you know, the, the people details. So I actually, while I was in my grad program, got a grant to go spend a few days in Kansas with my wife. And um, it was very telling. It was very helpful, um, you know, first for just like the landscape and then to see how people were reacting to us, which was like, with a lot of suspicion and a lot of um, 
confusion and, um, you know, it was very obvious that we weren't from there and everyone like commented on that, you know? Oh, so interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I know that you also grew up in a rural area. Yes. So was the imagining of Big Bird sort of a combination of like this research and this visitation, but then also your experiences growing up? I mean, how did that kind of, what the process of creating this fictional town, this ultimately fictional town, um, like, yeah, what, what exactly was that process like? Because it, I imagined it as having to come sort of before, you know, character in a sense. Um, so I'm just, yeah, I'm curious sort of how you ended up with, you know, all of the architecture of this town. And, yeah. Yeah, and all that story. Um, I would say I definitely pulled from where I grew up, um, kind of, it was in town, I don't think all the town rural, but the part of town that I lived in was pretty rural. Um, And my family in general, like, I was not aware of it growing up. But as I got older, I realized that we were, um, you know, definitely more like country than a lot of other people. Like, my dad hunted deer every year. And, you know, I remember we had this Halloween party one year. Um, with like neighborhood people and he had just shot a deer and he had it hanging up up, upside down post um, you know in order to you know do what he had to do with it and all of the neighborhood people that were coming over were like mortified by this deer hanging on the swing post and it hadn't occurred to me until they had that reaction that like it was a little weird that you know my dad was a hunter and this was you know a thing that he did and, you know, my mom, like, canned vegetables from the garden. And um, it was, yeah, just sort of a very rural. And it was done because of necessity for a lot uh-huh. of these things. Because, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely a lot more of a rural experience than I think a lot of my friends, even in the same town, had. So um, you can probably see that a lot of the hunting stuff I brought into Gabe's story. My dad actually helped me with a lot of the details for that story. Um, So yeah, I would say I definitely brought that to Big Burr. And then um, Liberal itself just really helped in terms of the actual layout of the town. Like I drew a map um, of, you know, where the main street was and where, where Applebee's was and, you know, where Giovanni's was and where everyone lived in relation to that. Oh, and that's so cool. I yeah, love that. I, we had actually talked about putting the map at the front of the book, um, you know, right. as, as part of the physical book for a little while, but then we ended up not doing that, um, which I was a little sad about because I, I love books that have maps in them. Um, but yeah, yeah really was, the best. Yeah, but it was loosely, it was loosely based on, on liberal, you know, I was on Google Maps, just like looking at streets and figuring everything out. So yeah, it was probably a combination of my own town and specifically like my own experience of my town and then liberal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're onto something. I feel when you're on Google Maps at like 3am, you know, like, (laughs) Could this person walk here from there? You know, yeah, um, I was taking that little orange man and plunking him down yeah, just yeah. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah, um, it's definitely like a research. It's like a technique. I feel <laughs> at this point in fiction. Um, 
elements of craft, Google Maps. Um, <laughs> but uh, but speaking of, and this map, which I will hound you for outside of this interview, because I'm so curious, um, just the process of like making this book and kind of, you know, where earlier we talked about, you know, imagining, I guess, the book as a precursor to writing a little bit, like having the book in hand and then revising it. Um, you mentioned, I think, in another interview that there was quite a bit of revision done. And I'm wondering if there were other perspectives that were in the book that aren't um, in this final book. And, and I'm just curious to hear you speak about that process. Yeah, I was editing with my editor for, I want to say, almost three years. Um, wow. you, and, you know, part of that is just because um, the process itself takes so long. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like an editor has so many projects that they, you know, are working on. And, you know, there's that lag time between, you know, sending things and getting them back. Um, but yeah, another part of it was that we really had to um, sort of, I don't want to say overhaul, but insert a, um, a structure into the book that wasn't there originally. Um, sort of like a freight a Freytag's triangle-esque structure. Um, so let's see, I'll start with some of the people that we had deleted. Um, I had like sort of a town, um, what to call him, sort of like a town peeper <laughs> that sort of like went around and like looked in people's windows and spied on, on people. Um, and we got rid of him. Um, I had, um, another character that um, I had written one story when one of my teachers said that it would be really helpful to see someone from the task force who like loved Big Burr, you know, a queer person who comes and they're just like, I actually love it here. Um, so I wrote that yeah. story um, and we ended up getting rid of that just because it wasn't really adding to that structural arc, you know, right. but I think it was probably a helpful exercise for me to do just to imagine that someone could, you know, that like a queer liberal person could come to a town like this and feel that there is something for them there, right. you know? Um, and so, yeah, basically I think the stories that we ended up getting rid of were the ones that were not serving this arc and the stories that we added in were for that purpose. So I had originally ended the book with Zach's story um, the teenage bi guy who um, wants to run away. And I had ended it with um, just him leaving and that being sort of like my message with the book. Um, and they were like, no, I think we need something a little bit more hopeful, you know, something maybe a little bit more redemptive. Um, so we ended up moving that to the middle and adding a new ending. And I don't want to spoil anything for um, people who are listening who haven't read the book, but we added a pretty like explosive plot point at the end of Zach's story um, to sort of make people go, whoa, like what is going to happen after this? Um, and then for the end of the book, in, in order to sort of bring people ag together again and, you know, sort of have that like warm, fuzzy feeling that I think a lot of readers want. Um, I added the story of Gabe 10 years later, yeah. um, you know, falling in love for the first time. So I would say that those were like the major changes that we made. 
Got it. Yeah. Oh, so fascinating to hear about these other perspectives. And, um, and yeah, I mean, not, again, not to spoil anything, but there's a real, like, I feel like sometimes when I read, I think, oh, that's sweet because it's intended to be sweet. And then there's the sweet feeling of like when you're reading something and it moves through you and it's sweet. Like, and this book really does have one of those endings that's so enriched by the really humane way that you treat all of your characters and the life that you give them. Um, so in case you were, in case you were hovering over the buy button, um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, no, it's great to hear you talk about uh, yeah, the process of arriving at each of these characters, because this is kind of in a way, as you've described it, a novel in stories. Mm -hmm. um, and that comes with its unique challenges. Um, so I guess we've already talked about this a little bit, but were there any other kind of unique challenges to writing a novel in stories? I mean, it sounds like something that might be like an easier approach only in theory until you're sitting down to do it. And then as someone who's yes. attempted this, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, absolutely. Uh, I think that I came up with the idea for a novel in stories because I thought it would be easier than writing, um, right. you know, a linear novel from one character's perspective. Um, because, you know, all we're trained to do when we're young writers is to write short stories, right. you know. Um, and so before I went to my MFA program, I came up with the idea for this book because I wanted to have something um, really set, you know, that I was working on there. I wanted to be working towards something. Um, and at that time, all I knew how to write were short stories, but I knew that like novels sold better. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll write a novel and stories. And that will sort of fix this issue of what I feel is like my craft impediment, um, with also like the business of selling a book, but you're right that it ended up because now I have written a novel. My second book is like more of a one character linear novel. Yes. And I can say that that was a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> like it still wasn't right. easy, but it was a hell of a lot easier than this because you only have to the skin of a few people, you know, like your main character and it's about like a best friendship this my second book so I, I really got into the skin of like two people I would say as opposed to under the rainbow where I was getting into the skin of like I think it's 11 or 12 people yeah um so yeah and then you know thinking about how characters are going to interact with each other and reappear in other stories that was another thing that we worked on so so much during the editing process was like all right, well, how are we going to see Kristen again, you know, and know sort of what's happened to her? And, you know, how are we going to see so-and-so again? Um, and yeah, there was a point where, where I definitely felt like I had built a house of cards and every time I made a change, they were just falling out, right. you know? Um, it got really hard to like maintain the architecture of the book as a whole while maintaining the architecture of each individual story. Right. Um, so yeah, if there are any young writers out there listening to <laughs> this and you're like, maybe I'll write a novel and stories, like maybe reconsider that and just go with a straightforward novel because it's not easier as you might think it is. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it was just so impressive really for that reason, you know, how to make all of these stories continue to matter throughout the book, how to, you know, not create one that sort of takes the attention fully, you know, in a way that overrides others, you know, Mm -hmm. and then timelines. I mean, this idea of like a general arc for the book, there's so much to broker and you do it all so beautifully in this book. So um, yeah, uh, congratulations. And before we end, I wanted to ask you about this next book and um, what are some of the similar um, themes or could you just speak a little bit to it? Yeah, um, so the next book um, is like I said, more of a straightforward novel. And I would say it's much more plotty, um, which was an interesting challenge for me, but it's about these two women Um, who were best friends in high school. And then as they get older, um, they sort of branch away from each other. Um, One of the women is queer and she becomes really sort of super left and and super feminist. And then the other woman is straight and um, she sort of goes down this path of like becoming really, really focused on, um, you know, meeting a man and marrying him and having kids. Um, And the main action of the book takes place during her wedding weekend, this best friend's wedding weekend. Um, And it sort of becomes clear over the course of this weekend that uh, my main character, the queer woman, um, is in danger due to some of the rituals that are going on at this wedding. Um, And she's also sort of in danger because of um, her own personality where she, you know, she just is very confrontational, very political, has a hard time letting things go. And so she's really clashing with both the bride and the wedding party members that are there. And it sort of puts her in this very precarious position. Um, And I think that's all I can say without spoiling too much, but it's sort of like a thriller. at a certain point, um, because you really do start to to fear um, for this character's life wow. at a certain point. I cannot wait to read this. Um, <laughs> and just knowing how well you write, I mean, I don't know if maybe this is the wrong word, but these kind of curmudgeonly characters, um, like a lot of them do have this kind of sharp, cynical edge. So I'm really glad to hear that uh, we'll be reading more of that from you. Um, well, this is so and wonderful. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, if, if you want me to say a little more, I think Please. it's sort of connected to Under the Rainbow in um, the thematic of, you know, that what's what's expected of you, um, you know, in this life and that my main character really, really rebels against that. And so, yeah. you know, through through the whole wedding weekend, she's sort of, you know, calling out how ridiculous all these rituals are and, you know, how how silly it is. Um, and I think that, you know, there were some characters in Under the Rainbow that sort of bristled against all that too. And it was a lot about, you know, the people that embrace um, these things that you're told to do. And then a lot of people that push away right. um, those things. So I would say that this book is about that same tension, you know, the embrace or the pushing away of like societal expectations. Right. Oh, so interesting. I'm well, I can't wait to read it. Um, and um, yeah, this was a total pleasure. And uh, again, if you haven't already purchased a copy or a copy for 
friend or loved one, um, Under the Rainbow by Celia Lasky. Uh, buy it now, buy it from Skylight Books, buy it in paperback. Um, thank you so much, Celia. Thank you so much, Peter. That was such a lovely conversation. Thank you both for that. It was lovely for me to just listen to too. And that was, um, I'm so excited to like get into this book. Um, do you guys, do either of you two have any last words for our um, Skylight community and our listeners and just the independent book community in general? I guess I would say just uh, support independent bookstores as much as you can, you know, especially right now with COVID this past year. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of places are struggling and um, I know a lot of individual people are struggling too. Um, but, you know, as much as you can, uh, you know, buy from your independent local bookstores. Yeah, I, I wanna echo that as well. Um, and uh, yeah, please support your local booksellers um, and buy queer books, support queer lit and um, and yeah, enjoy this, this book. Um, it's, uh, it's truly one of my favorites from 2020. So, um, thank, thank you so much. For and read me. Peter's book, you know, while we're at it, everyone, I know, you know who I am because that was one of my favorites of 2020. And, you know, then you'll, you'll be doing a double, uh, queer reading. Yeah. Both of those books. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Great. Um, thank you. And you can order both of those books at uh, skylightbooks.com. And yeah, just, and you can also come visit our uh, queer section in our bookstore, which we have prominently featured. And we will definitely mm -hmm. feature both books there. Um, all right. So thank you. God, thank you to all my beautiful listeners for listening again and come back with our, and come back again. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.